Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Blue Crime Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I will be your host for this episode. Now, this is the fourth and final part of the murder murder saga that I've covered in the last few episodes. So, although I will be wrapping up this case in this episode, uh, if you haven't, please go back and listen to episodes 56, 57, and 58 in that order before you get to this one. Uh, It'll just make a whole lot more sense. And, you know, like I said, over the course of the the saga, you definitely want to listen to it in chronological order. So, But before we get to the story, if you'd like to get to updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. If you can, please support the show via Patreon. Any donation level helps, and it will help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast and a thank-you message from the host. And for no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Thanks so much. Without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime. So as a quick recap, in parts 1 through 3, we covered the five deaths associated with the Murdoch family saga. In 2015, Stephen Smith was found deceased in the middle of the road, with rumors that his classmate Buster Murdoch had a part in his murder. In 2018, the family's housekeeper died after a workplace accident at the family hunting lodge. A lawsuit was filed against the family at the suggestion of Alex Murdoch, and the $4.3 million settlement was reached. In 2019, Paul Murdaugh, the younger son of Alex, was the intoxicated driver in a boat accident that resulted in the tragic loss of life for 19-year-old Mallory Beach. And in 2021, Paul and Maggie Murdaugh are murdered on the family hunting lodge property. Investigators are building a case against Alex, and while they are doing that, he is forced to resign from his family's law firm after they found he was embezzling money. Now we pick up the story on the day after he resigned from the law firm. On September 4th, 2021, Alex is again going to call 911 to report someone being shot. But this time, he's reporting that he has been shot in the head while on the side of the road. He would tell investigators that he was pulled over on the side of the road to change a tire when a truck slowed down and someone in the truck shot him once in the head and drove off. Alex did have a gunshot wound to the head, but it was considered superficial and the shooter having landed just a glancing shot. Investigators were immediately suspicious of his story, and before they could get to the bottom of it, Alex entered a substance abuse rehab program in Florida on September 6th. But it didn't take long for investigators to unravel the latest Alex Murdoch scam. By September 14th, investigators announced they had obtained a confession from Alex and a man identified as Curtis Smith about a suicide-for-hire plan between the two men. So before we get into this, I, I'm purposely not presenting a ton of information about this suicide for hire plot. Listen to some podcasts. I got really into the case, and while it is interesting, and there are parts that again he planned out really well, and then parts that weren't executed well, and parts of the plan that didn't make any sense. The long and short of it is that. You know, police are going to investigate this pretty quickly and find out that he, he basically tried to take his own life using somebody else because he believed that this he had a $10 million life insurance policy that he didn't think would pay out if he committed suicide, 
but would pay out if he was the victim of a homicide. So he basically wanted to make it look like he was killed on the side of the road. If this had worked properly, it would have been very difficult for police to trace who shot him. Although ultimately, I think just based on Alex's poor planning and his inability to actually hide what he thinks he can hide, it probably would have come to light anyway. But whether you want to look at it as fortunately or unfortunately, this plan doesn't work. And it didn't take long. The investigators unraveled the latest scam. And then on September 14th, they had obtained this confession from Alex. And this man, Curtis Smith, was, it was a cousin of Alex. And it's a guy he had represented in the past. And Curtis was also one of Alex's sources for the opi- opioids he was addicted to. And so it was pretty quickly determined that Alex hired Curtis to shoot him in the head so Alex's son Buster could collect on that $10 million life insurance policy we'd taken out. Because remember, if Alex is dead, basically the only surviving member of Alex's family is now Buster, the, the oldest son. And as things are going to come to light here, the financial situation that Alex has put his family in, actually, to be honest, I don't even know if that $10 million policy would have covered a lot of the financial stuff that's going to be coming Buster's way anyway, um, just based on uh, how bad the financial situation was, but we'll talk about that in a bit. It would later be stated that Alex rather quickly confessed to the fraud scam because he didn't want to make investigators waste time on his case while the double murders of his wife and son were still being investigated. The next day, September 15th, Sled announced they would be opening a new investigation into the death of Gloria Satterfield. This was despite Corey Fleming obtaining that $4.3 million payout against Alex's insurance for the workplace death, Gloria's son had not seen a dime of their $2.7 million share of the court decision. In fact, they hadn't even been told there had been a settlement reached and thought they were still in legal limbo in the case. So the way I read this in the timeline is that quickly the media and I'm sure police put together this attempted scam for life insurance in regards to the plan he came up with Curtis and then they didn't have to look very far in the past, go back to 2018 and find out that he had done this in the past, upping you know an insurance policy right before an event in order to obtain a payout. And I'm sure they went, investigators probably went to the Gloria's sons to try to you know, build a stronger case against Alex. Possibly even maybe they could have thought the sons were in on it. Who knows? They had to have gone in with somewhat open minds about how this whole thing worked out. And then they're shocked to find out that the sons never received a dime from this payout. And so this is the first time that law enforcement is going to learn that not only does this look extremely shady now, this the, the death of Gloria Satterfield, Alex kept all the money that was meant in this insurance scam and so now they're going to relook at the death of gloria to see if it wasn't an accident and it's more likely that it was a planned event and this is where i mentioned going back you're now three and a half years after her death and remember i mentioned at the time of gloria's 
accident and then death, as far as I can tell, there was no police reports, no documentation, no photos taken, no autopsy, nothing like that. So now SLED is going to have to go back three and a half years and investigate potential crime that was never investigated in the first place. So now they've got the investigation they're looking into with Stephen Smith that was reopened just days after the double homicide. And apparently, again, there was some information that they obtained during their investigation, which is likely some form of computer dump or phone dump or something like that, where they got data off of some type of a, a Murdoch hard drive of some sort that somehow implicated some involvement in the Stephen Smith death. So SLED is now looking at the deaths from 2015, they're looking at Gloria's quote-unquote accident in 2018, and the fact that the sons didn't receive a payout and Alex appeared to have embezzled that money, and they're still investigating Alex for the double homicide, and now they're investigating him for this suicide slash homicide by hire situation that he has himself in. And with and Gloria's sons would very quickly file a civil lawsuit against Alex, the lawyer that was recommended to Corey Fleming, and the PMPED law office. On the following day, September 16th, Alex was arrested and charged for his part in the fraudulent suicide insurance scam. And despite all the alle other allegations against him, a judge allowed him to attend rehab in lieu of going into custody, but he had to surrender his passport. And I know this is a difficult thing because as a judge, if you've got a, a person before you that clearly has substance abuse problems, whether it be alcohol or in this case opi opioids, those substance abuse issues are medically emergencies. The person has to go through some type of a medical withdrawal program to get them off of those drugs you can't just throw them in jail because they're likely going to end up in the hospital anyway because you can't just go cold turkey off of a severe opioid or alcohol uh, abuse especially if it's been long term so the judge i'm not faulting i guess for not putting him in custody at this point the media kind of made it sound like it was another quote-unquote gift from the judge but I think just because of the substance if there wasn't the substance abuse and despite everything that he was facing including the suicide for hire plot if there wasn't the substance abuse I think the judge likely would have held them without bail just because of he's got this laundry list of investigations against him at this point and they want him in custody but it is better that he goes to this medical facility uh, to get treatment before he's eventually going to go into custody. Now, on October 6th, his own family's law firm is going to sue him for the losses they incurred due to his embezzlement of client funds. And so they're going to actually start to realize how much money he actually stole from clients. This is over almost $3 million, I should say, from the sons of Gloria Satterfield. Uh, we'll cover a couple other cases that he's known to have stolen money for but he's leaving PMPED on the hook for this money so they're going to look to their former founding family member 
And now they're going to have to sue him to try to recover some of these losses that they're eventually going to have to pay out. And this is while he's already still facing the lawsuits from Mallory Beach's family and several of the other teenagers involved in the fatal boat crash. Because just because Paul passed away, that removed the criminal charges against Paul for Mallory's death. But remember I mentioned that a lot of the civil liability for that boat crash is still falling on Alex for providing the alcohol, providing him with the boat and everything. So he's still facing lawsuits from the Paul's boating accident. He's still he's now facing lawsuits from Gloria Satterfield's family. He's facing lawsuits now from his own law firm because of the embezzlement and the money that they're going to have to pay out to people that he stole. And while in rehab, and I'm assuming this is after doctors have kind of said he's out of the danger zone for withdrawals, Alex was arrested after an investigation into his handling of the proceeds from the Gloria Satterfield case showed he embezzled a majority of the funds earmarked for Gloria's sons. So on October 14th, 2021, he was taken into custody and denied bond. And this is, again, likely because of the high number of cases that he has against him. Even though at this point, he's facing charges for like embezzlement and money that really in most cases those people will get released on some type of bond there's not deemed to be a a safety risk to others but when you add in he's the suspect in this double homicide and he tried to hire somebody to kill him uh, the judge has obviously had enough at this point is erring on the side of caution by keeping him in custody and the next six months would pass with a lot of legal proceedings in the many cases against Alex at this point. And several more of Alex's money embezzlement victims came forward. And while I'm not going to list all of them, there's another example very similar to the Satterfields case. Basically, there was eight other people that got together and hired a lawyer to try to recover losses from Alex and his associates. And while the total amount of these losses vary... It is reported to be anywhere from $8 million on the low end to over $20 million on the high end. And one example is Hakeem Pickney. He was a deaf black man who was involved in a car accident in 2009 that required permanent life support. And then this life support was mysteriously unplugged, which caused Pickney to pass away. And Alex took the case and introduced the Pickneys to a friend of his named Russell Lafitte. And this is the CEO of this bank that we've talked about in the past. And the reason that Alex introduces them to Russell is because he understands that there's going to be a large payout in insurance uh, in a lawsuit. I think it was either against the original insurance for the car accident itself, or maybe it was that and a combination of either life insurance and or some type of malpractice insurance for this life support being unplugged. But ultimately, Pickney's family was said that they're going to receive around a million dollars from these lawsuits, but they would go on to claim they never saw any of the money. And this is the same uh, CEO that ran the bank for Alex's fraudulent accounts uh, in the Gloria Satterfield case. And so since this stuff came to light, uh, the CEO was fired from the bank, and this is a bank his family founded in 1907. So these, this again, now Alex is being sued by the law office that his, would be his great-grandfather set up in 1910. His buddy 
who's probably I'm assuming is getting kickbacks for this fraudulent these fraudulent accounts being set up in, through his family bank is now you know, fired from the bank that his family ran since 1907. So we got you know over 200 years of family-run businesses between the two of them that are facing all these legal and issues because of great grandsons down the road just there's no other word for it just being evil and greedy now on june 3rd 2022 gloria satterfield's family gave police the green light to exhume her body to have an autopsy done but from everything i could find as of july of 2023 this autopsy hasn't been done so i don't know if it was done and the information just wasn't made public because there's still this lawsuit so everything's kind of really tight-lipped or whether it hasn't been done it's still kind of working its way through some of the legal channels but i expect at some point there's going to be more information put out there when this actual autopsy is done on gloria and alex was indicted for more charges on june 28th this time related to his drug connections with curtis smith and it was alleged that curtis and alex worked together for almost 10 years to funnel oxycodone into the lowlands area and somehow it took until july 13th of 2022 to disbar alex removing his right to practice law and at by the time that they got around to doing this he was facing 84 criminal charges and 11 different lawsuits and just one day later, July 14th, that list of criminal charges grew in both size and strength as he was formally indicted for the double murder of his wife and son. A week later, Alex pled not guilty to the murder charges, setting the stage for a massive trial against the former lawyer. And on August 19th, 2022, nine more charges were leveled against Alex as more evidence of the scope of his embezzlement came to light. And then in December of 2022, the number of charges against Alex topped 100 as tax evasion charges got added as he was found to have not paid almost half a million dollars in state income taxes over the course of nine years. It was also announced that month that prosecutors would not seek the death penalty against Alex in his upcoming double murder trial. And I think this is important and we're going to talk about it uh, as a part of the trial the the lack of going against the death penalty and i'll kind of explain maybe some of the thought process with that on january 25 2023 opening statements were made by the prosecution and defense the prosecution contends that alex killed maggie and paul because he was under immense financial pressure and maggie was about to learn the scope of his fraudulent money schemes and the prosecution alleged that Paul was likely killed because of his ongoing criminal and civil liabilities to Alex. The defense would claim there was a lack of physical evidence to show Alex was responsible, and the prosecution's case was built on false theories. Some trials, I think we've mentioned some trials in the past, are like a three or four days. Uh, this trial was not one of the going to be one of those trials. And, and keep in mind, he's only and i use quotes on only only on trial at this point for the double homicide and, and the charges related to the double homicide and those make up i want to say it's a total of four five six maybe charges of those 100 that he's facing so it's not like he's on trial for all 100 charges if that was the case this trial probably would have taken years but five weeks into the trial alex takes the stand and tries to defend his initial story which was 
him not being around his wife and son at the time of the death. Now, since that statement he gave two months after the shootings where he was standing by his story that it wasn't him at the kennels, he wasn't on the video, uh, the prosecution actually brought in a couple really good witnesses uh, that testified they've known Alex most of his life and they 100% were sure that was his voice on the video. So the jury at this point... You know, there, there's no getting around the fact that Alex is on this Snapchat video, at least the audio of his voice, in the area five minutes before it's believed that, that Paul and Maggie are, are killed. So the, the defense has to kind of pivot their story here, and Alex continues with this line about how he didn't want to tell the truth that day because he was on opioids and he was ex displaying paranoid behavior and he was worried that if the cops knew that he was there just minutes before they were killed that they'd immediately look at him as a suspect so he thought it was better to just lie and say he wasn't there altogether and obviously this isn't going to look good for the jury either as you've got but at the same time the defense, you know, it's always a choice of the defense to put the defendant on the stand because they get to plead the fifth if they want to, and, and they don't have to be questioned about their crimes. But I think the thought process on the defense is, A, Alex is an experienced defense lawyer, so if anybody could take, take the stand, because the reason most defense attorneys don't put their client on the stand is because you open them to cross-examination and when they're on the stand and they voluntarily have taken the stand they have to answer those questions and they don't have to answer them truthfully per se i mean obviously they can lie but it's not going to look good to the jury if they get caught in a lie on the stand obviously it opens them up to perjury charges as well which is the least of alex's worries at this point but i'm sure his defense team thought he would be shrewd enough to be able to pull off this uh, taking the stand in his own defense and try to sell his story to uh, the jury and there's it said there's times that he broke down crying when talking about his wife and his kid and he referred to paul as paul paul because that was his nickname for his son and you know he would be crying so he's trying to play this sympathy card with the jury and but ultimately, he's actually going to be on the stand for like 14 hours. And I don't think that's something the defense likely planned. They may have thought he'd be on there for a while, but not two full days of testimony. Because the jury over two full days, they're going to get a pretty good feel for what this guy is about. And this prosecution team is very good. And they're going to likely expose a side of Alex through lies and all the different you know, financial things and that's the big thing all of the finances were allowed to be brought into the trial which is something that's still under appeal to this day the defense of course didn't want that stuff brought into the trial because it creates motive and if you erase the financial things that are going on in his life at this point yeah you've still got the criminal and civil liabilities with paul but there's really no reason, I guess, for Alex to kill Maggie at this point, other than 
you know, I guess unprovable stuff. If if there's stuff in the marriage that nobody could seem to prove, if there's whatever, except juries want motive. They want to know why somebody does something. They don't want it to just be this happened and we don't know why. And the finances provide the why in this case. So the defense, of course, did not want the financial stuff to come in. But when it was allowed in by the judge, the prosecution is going to jump all over this. And they're likely hammering this stuff throughout most of this testimony about is Maggie going to find out by these finances? What are the finances? Did you take this money from... You know the, these different clients. Well, you know what was? Did you have credit card debt? You know all this stuff that the jury is going to start to formulate. It makes sense that Alex would kill Maggie and Paul if he's under all this financial stress. That's that's the motive. They need to develop that. And and again, I don't know if the defense realized that when this was allowed in trial that it was actually going to probably backfire putting Alex on the stand, which it normally does for most offense. So I, I guess it was a Hail Mary for them that, that didn't work out, I don't think. Now, ultimately when the jury left to deliberate, despite the scope of this case, it took them only three hours to find Alex guilty of both murders. And remember when I mentioned that the prosecution said they weren't going to seek the death penalty? I think that's for two reasons. One is juries tend to need more convincing and really solid evidence to convict somebody in a capital murder case. And one thing that the prosecution does not have here is a lot of direct physical evidence. I think there was some physical evidence. They were able to find some blood spatter on on some of his clothing. Uh, Maybe the clothing that he was wearing in the video with the tree and it was real fine particulate blood spatter which is usually indicative of blood spatter from like a shot uh, from a shooting situation and you combine that with the you know the the guns missing and potentially in this raincoat you know there's there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that he's involved in the shooting but other than the financial motives and his lies about his location and the behaviors on the phones of, of everybody, there isn't a very strong direct link. He's not caught with the murder weapons. In fact, the murder weapons are never found. Uh, he's not... It's one of those cases where he has to be guilty because nobody else can be guilty of this. He's the only one with the motive. He's there... It's one of those cases which it'll work in a life without parole situation, but to put this as a death penalty case with no DNA, no ballistics, no anything like that, you run the risk of running into that one or two jurors on the in the jury pool that just can't live with themselves putting somebody to death if there's any doubt in their mind. So I think it was a very good move. Plus, you also have to think of this is a lawyer, and if you put a lawyer on death row, you're already going to face a ton of appeals for the conviction, but you're likely going to see appeals until he dies of natural causes before he's ever actually 
put to death. So in, in reality, there isn't a big difference between him going to life or going to prison for the rest of his life or going to prison and eventually being executed because likely he's not going to even reach the point of execution before he dies of natural causes in prison. So again, I think it was a good move on the prosecution. I think that's why it was only three hours of deliberation. The jury felt pretty good about throwing this guy in prison for the rest of his life i'm sure after hearing what he did to gloria's family and the speculation that maybe he had some involvement in that uh, they again didn't have any any problem sending him to prison and so the following day march 3rd he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences and it's pretty much said he's read the riot act by the judge for his behaviors and if you never heard the term read the riot act it's when somebody gets to just kind of unleash on somebody verbally uh, about what they've done and you know this judge didn't hold back when they had the chance and, and some judges are better at this than others some kind of toe the line others they they take full liberty in having sat through a trial for five weeks it's their turn to talk and they just it sounded like this judge just unleashed on on alex now it said he Alex was sent to solitary confinement at an undisclosed prison to spend his days in an eight by ten foot cell with limited time outside the cell. And this is because of the high profile nature of this case. Anytime you have a high profile criminal, if you put them in with the general population in a prison, there's a pretty good chance that they're gonna be attacked and seriously injured or killed because there are several other people in the prisons that are never gonna see the light of day again. But if they get to be the person who killed Alex Murdoch, or in the case, we've got other killers like Jeffrey Dahmer who was killed in prison uh, by a fellow inmate, you know, there's there's a status, there's an infamy that comes along with, with killing another famous person that, that's going to make you famous. So he's ultimately going to be basically for the rest of his life, he's going to be kept away from everybody else. And, you know, he's he's lost this life of eight sea islands and a 1700 acre hunting resort that he can live at several houses like i said private charter planes to the point that he's going to spend the rest of his life deservingly in this solitary jail cell now his lawyers immediately filed several appeals and this was mainly centered around that financial information being brought into the trial because again if you remove that you remove a lot of the motive for this case and you remove the motive and maybe that changes the jury's mindset so as of now those appeals haven't gone anywhere and i don't see them going anywhere just because i think there's a lot of solid basis behind that financial information so it's not like that was speculation or conjecture those were actual investigations and they were relevant to what was going on at the time of the murders so I don't think those lawyers will win any of these appeals. But then strangely, in what can only be seen as an act of retaliation against the Satterfields, Alex's lawyers would come out and say that the critical facts released by Alex in regards to Gloria's death were not accurate. While they would not go into the truths of what actually happened that day, they simply stated that no dogs were involved in her fall and Alex invented his statement to ensure that, that the insurers would pay out on the settlement. So... This seems really strange because basically now the insurance company that paid out that $4.3 million to Fleming and eventually to Alex, now they're suing Alex to try to get their money back, which 
opens up issues for Gloria's sons to get the the money because there's accusations that this quote-unquote accident didn't go down as they said it did and didn't meet the parameters for the policy to be paid out so between the autopsy with Gloria and some of this other stuff it'll be interesting to see how that all works out and again I don't really understand why this was said I mean other than just if it's retaliation to try to prevent Gloria's sons from collecting on this money down the road I, I guess again it's probably some type of a legal move that I don't fully understand but I just it's part of the story so I report on it on May 24th the US Department of Justice announced they were indicting Alex Murda on 22 counts of financial fraud and money laundering the indictments also level charges against Corey Fleming who has since been disbarred and pled guilty to the indictments so Alex as I mentioned he's not just taking down unfortunately fatally a couple members of his family basically anybody who was involved in any of his schemes and I have to imagine that they understood what they were doing but his buddy at the bank his his roommate in college that helped him defraud the Satterfields and helped him tried to help him get his son off the hook and get Connor Cook in, uh, involved in the boat crash. You know, that guy is disbarred now and he's going to be facing consequences. And in June of 2023, the family of Stephen Smith advised the media that substantial progress was being made in the investigation into the death of their 19-year-old son. Since 2021, Stephen's body was exhumed and two additional autopsies were completed. And the findings of those autopsies, along with information from the investigation, changed the ruling of Stephen's death to a homicide. Now, while the information that has led investigators to look at his case as a homicide have not been released, it is expected that the full investigation will result in more information being released in the future. Stephen's mother has publicly said she does not care if anyone is charged or if there is or isn't a Murdoch connection. She just wants to know what happened to her son. An attorney for the Smith family has said they expect to have a public report by Labor Day of 2023. And this, I mean, especially in the Stephen Smith's case, I mean, I give Stephen Smith's mother a lot of credit for how she's approached this thing. I mean, obviously the loss of, of your child is a devastating event and she's really used it as a motivator to, to get to the truth and i believe her when she says these public statements like she doesn't care if anybody's charged or not since the very beginning i think she was more upset by what she felt was a cover-up or the truth not being out there because originally they made it sound like almost like it had to either be a suicide or Stephen was just being an idiot and walking in the middle of the road and she knew her son better than that and she always felt her son was targeted because he was gay she felt there was more to the story and nobody in the local law enforcement was really on her side in the beginning and so she's at the point now where thankfully things are moving forward with this investigation and the hope is that as she said, even if somebody can't be charged, even if there's not enough information to bring charges, she just wants to know what happened to Stephen that night. And as a parent, I think that's really all 
she's going to ask for and it, it brings me all the way back to our case, you know episode number one that i did with the jacob wetterling case and you know ultimately in the end after in that case patty wetterling had to wait 30 plus years to get the answers but ultimately the man responsible for what happened to jacob was never charged with crimes related to what he did to jacob and and patty was i wouldn't say that she was okay with that but she agreed to that because it gave her answers about what happened to her son uh, you know what what and they were able to, as a result to recover jacob's body and, and give him a proper burial so when you're talking about a mother and a son and the emotions involved in losing a child it, again it this isn't as much about justice as it is about the search for the truth in regards to steven so i can only hope that that's that does happen at some point for for steven's mother and an attorney for the smith family has said they expect to have a public report available by labor day of 2023 so the only other news i guess in this case as of july 22nd to 2023 is that just a week ago a settlement was reached with the family of mallory beach and the court awarded the majority of a 15 million dollar lawsuit settlement to mallory's family so take a big breath here that was there was a lot of research into this uh, i said a lot of uh moving parts going on the trying to keep it all in chronological order so that people could follow along and, and understand the full scope of things so i'll take a second here to, to offer some closing thoughts and, and we'll start we'll go back to the beginning with these clothing closing thoughts um this entire story began with a family's desire to be the most powerful and influential family in the lowlands of south carolina and the building of a defense-based law firm and the ownership of the prosecuting power and the media is to me is a very obvious conflict of interest and while this may have been somewhat of a necessity in the early 1900s because i can't imagine there was a ton of law firms active law firms operating in the lowlands area of south carolina back in the early 1900s so so this was maybe kind of common practice in some of these rural areas but I have to imagine by the latter part of the 1900s, somebody should have stepped in and said, look, you can either prosecute for these five counties or you can offer you know, these defense cases. You can't do both because you're, you're operating on both sides of the law, collecting money from both sides of the law. You're, you basically could potentially, somebody from your lawyer office could represent the defense of somebody while somebody else is prosecuting him and from that same office and so the only person that benefits from that is the lawyers because the person stuck in the middle they they're not going to get the best deal either way and even though i say there isn't much history about abuse of power by the family in the past there was some to include that tip off of the bootlegging friend by I want to say Randy Jr. I said I'm, I'm I, I purposely didn't focus a lot on what was going on you know pre-2015 with this family to a certain degree but just reading in there uh, there was questions about the the death of the original uh, Randolph Murdoch back in 1940 whether he was drunk when he was hit by the train whether it was a suicide that he was hit by the train 
uh, whether there's other forces at play that all of a sudden allowed his son to step up and become this this prosecutor for like 46 years. Uh, but it was that son, the one that took power after the untimely death of his father, that had the issues with the letting the bootlegging friend know about the investigation. And it was the Supreme Court of South Carolina gave him several stern warnings for his dramatic and borderline illegal practices in the courtroom. I guess there were some times that he said things in his arguments that the judges let him get away with that when it went to appeals or went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court basically came down and said he was walking about the finest line you could between getting disbarred for what you said and not. So it's not like they didn't enjoy some leniency in how they prosecuted or defended, uh, but it's clear that this abuse of power just got worse over time. And ultimately it would culminate in the downfall of the family because of the actions, behaviors, and attitudes of both Alex and Paul. Paul had to have known his behavior was unacceptable, but he did it anyway because he knew he could get away with it. Uh, he lived a privileged life, but seemingly didn't respect anyone other than himself and his father's money. And I don't mean to talk ill of the dead. It's not something I like to do, but I think in this case, because Mallory Beach isn't around to be the amazing woman she would have turned out to be, and that's all because of of Paul acting like an absolute idiot, Uh and, and I and I don't think, especially considering he had an entire nickname for his alter ego, that this was a one-off for Paul. This likely could have happened a dozen times over, and it was just because he didn't change his behavior. It was, it was bound. It's that eventually you play with fire, you're going to get burned thing. And then Alex, on the other hand, was a practicing attorney in a law firm that his family built, and he was making ridiculous sums of money on what some consider some questionable lawsuits. And I mentioned, and I didn't really get too deep into it, those lawsuits against the railroad companies. So from the way I understood it, you could get injured in another part of the state or maybe even another part of the nation. But if that railroad company or the company that the railroad is hauling freight for, if they those railroads or that train touched the railroad tracks in any of these five-county area, the, the the plaintiff could bring a lawsuit against the railroad company in these lowlands area and then PMPED would you know bring this this train company to suit for any injury that occurred again i think it was statewide possibly even nationwide uh in what they considered to be favorable environments where they knew the judges they knew how things were going to work and I'm guessing it got to the point where this railroad just continued to settle cases because they just knew they were going to lose and spend more money losing in court than they were paying out cases. And it made it very easy for this lock firm to just cash checks left and right from the railroad companies. However, despite making this ton of money, uh, it's said in there that Alex had a series of bad investments and then combined that with a drug habit and lost him a lot of working revenue and cash in the bank. He eventually turned to these illegal means to steal money from people to support his lifestyle. And at the end of all this, five people are dead, one the result of bad behavior by a spoiled teenager, one may or may not be directly linked to the Murdoz, but is certainly worth keeping a close eye on, 
and three other deaths are the direct result of Alex Murdoch and his money issues. And where did the money go? And it's this is a good question. While he did spend some of his illegal or his money on his illegal oxy habit, it doesn't even come close to accounting for the missing money. I guess during those 14 hours he testified in court, he was asked that by the prosecution, like where did you spend somewhere between eight and twenty million plus dollars? And he would go on to claim like he spent fifty thousand dollars a week on his oxy habit. But again, this is where the jury's probably gonna lose a lot of faith in what Alex is saying because I mean fifty thousand dollars a week worth of oxys is enough to kill somebody about a hundred times over. So unless you're completely overpaying for oxy and keep in mind it's expected or suspected that he was actually funneling oxy in, so he shouldn't be overpaying for prices. He should be getting it on the cheap. Uh, there's no way that he's spending fifty thousand dollars a week, maybe five grand a week, maybe, but that's, that's still not going to account for millions and millions of dollars in missing. So there was evidence to suggest that Alex was involved in the world of drugs, hence the indictment of drug charges, and that those drug connections also had big connections with organized illegal, illegal gambling. So there were a couple articles out there that stated that Alex was involved, potentially involved in some form of illegal gambling. And as we saw with the Killer Grandma case out of Minnesota, gambling is often associated with substance abuse, and the two together can cause people to do insane things. So gambling, especially gambling large amounts, could account for where this missing money went. If he was making a series of bad investments, tried to recoup it through gambling, was losing at gambling, doubling down on his losses and losing more, I guess that could account for where a lot of the money went. So some people believe it, it was this illegal, illegal gambling and you mix the illegal gambling with the substance abuse and that makes things even worse. But ultimately, my, my closing, one of my closing arguments here is I, I view this story not unlike that of the ancient story of Daedalus and his son Icarus. Daedalus was a great inventor that had been commissioned by King Midas to build a labyrinth to hold Theseus, one of Midas's great arch enemies. After Theseus escaped, King Midas had the father and son duo captured and placed into a prison as he believed they had revealed the secret of the labyrinth to his enemy. Daedalus, being this great inventor, fashioned a set of wings out of wax for Icarus to use to escape the prison. However, he warned Icarus not to fly too close to the sun, but Icarus didn't listen and the sun melted the wax and Icarus fell to his death. You combine that with the saying that goes with great power comes great responsibility. And I say that, but the problem I think in this case is that inherited power, it's the hard work to gain that responsibility is often taken for granted. So if you put those two lessons together, I think the combination of the the hubris displayed by Icarus and that idea of you can be given all of this power, but if you don't work for it or you don't understand where it all comes from or, or the, the responsibility that comes with it, it's way too easy to be abused. And I think that's exactly what we see in the case of that, that Alex Murdoch family. They were once thought to have it all, fortune, power, and influence, and all that remains is is one son who's trying to distance himself from it all and the patriarch who will be in prison for the rest of his life but that's it for the case of the murdoch saga 
Hopefully I broke it down in a way that everyone can understand the complexities of this case, but we're also able to follow it along without too much confusion. And I will try and do an update episode a year or so down the road when Stephen Smith's case and some of the other cases against Alex have more closure to them. And if I don't do that, please guys, keep me in check. If, if you hear some stuff coming down, some major stuff in this case, and enough of it that you want me to do an update episode, shoot me an email, hop on Facebook, send me a message, whatever it might be, so that I can kind of stay. Because sometimes I get going into one of these series or I've got my next 10 episodes plotted out and I'm not paying attention. Uh, I don't have a problem switching stuff around if I think there's going to be a, a good episode worth to cover as a some of the updates on some of these cases I've worked on in the past. But that's it, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes and feel free to write me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions at gmail.com. You can also find me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions on Facebook and support me via Patreon at TrueBlueCrimeProductions. So that's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Goodbye.